And now for the moment you've all been waiting for. That was a great spot for an amen, right, as I'm about to preach. And now for the moment you've all been waiting for. We're in this controversial series called Find Your Voice. We started it many moons ago because, honestly, we're not that great at sharing the truth in love when it comes to hot-button issues in our culture today. So far, we've learned how to talk about um, Islam and uh, terrorism. We've learned how to talk about God and government, abortion, uh, and now we're on our fourth week of LGBT issues. This is not me standing on a soapbox saying, this is how you talk about it. This is me saying, we need, to get, we need to find our voice as a church. We need to do better. We need to do better as Christians, okay? And this has been very transformational for me. I hope wherever you're at on these issues that you admit that we need to work harder at disagreeing better. We need to work harder at making sure that we understand people who are on the other side of the issue and that we never let go of love. Listen, there is a lot of hatred on both sides of this argument. And there's a lot of love and care on both sides of this argument. We have to take the lead in having conversations that really matter, especially when we're talking to people or about people who disagree with us. That's my heart. I hope you hear that. If you've missed part one, two, and three of LGBT issues, Please, please understand that today's sermon is one of four parts. You've already missed how to have gracious conversations, what the Bible says about it, what the history of the LGBT movement is and why it came about. You've missed all that. Today, the topic is what happens when the issue gets political. Please understand, this is not my favorite part of the conversation. If you're a first-time visitor or you're new to this church, we don't like long to get political in our our preaching or in our church conversations. So um, it's important that we do. It's important that we know this is a political issue, and it's important that we know how to be so careful when our religious liberty collides with our culture. That's the goal for today. Um, I want you to understand that this issue is political and you can't ignore the fact that it is. There was an article in the Christian Post recently about an Oregon Christian couple, the Kleins, who owned a bakery. A few years ago, they uh, refused to bake a cake, a wedding cake, for a same-sex ceremony for a lesbian couple. Because of it, the labor commissioner uh, slapped a hefty fine on them and they were ordered to pay $135,000 in emotional damages to the lesbian couple who requested the wedding cake and they were refused that cake. Who slapped this fine on them? It was Labor Commissioner Brad Avakian and he is known for aggressively imposing LGBT values on local businesses. He also imposed a $400,000 fine on a local bar because they refused entrance to, um, I believe it was some, uh, I don't know if it was homosexual people, Uh, or transgender people. After the bakery owners achieved a national voice because of their support of traditional marriage and because of the fine, Avaki and the labor commissioner ordered the Kleins to cease and desist from speaking publicly about not wanting to bake cakes for same-sex weddings based on their Christian beliefs. An appalling and shocking overreach of his authority to order them to stop speaking about their opinion on this issue. You see how quickly things can escalate, how costly it can become, and how over-involved a government local official can be. 
It is a political issue. I hope you don't always make it political. I hope when the topic of gay marriage or transgender people comes up, you're not right there ready to talk about Uncle Sam. But I hope you realize how important it is to know that this is a political issue and to be ready for when the topic turns political. You must be informed and prepared when your faith collides with your culture. You must learn to talk about this topic, and when the time comes, and it will come, and it has come, you must stand up for what you believe is right. You must not be silent. Are you ready with courage to share your convictions? Or are you preparing to wait as long as you can in silence? The world will not let you anymore. Let's pray, and then we'll get into this topic together. Father, I'm so humbled and thankful that folks in this room are giving me an audience. I'm sure there are some here who will disagree with what I say or some of what I say or see it differently. And uh, Father, I understand that and I'm just thankful that you have given us this ability, Lord, to cover this issue. Well, I feel like I'm walking a tightrope and I don't want to offend anyone. My eyes are on you and I want, above all, to glorify you in what is said here. So be praised. Pray that you would guide and direct this sermon, O Lord. Help us to have open hearts and open ears. And whatever we believe about this issue, help us to be loving and gracious toward each other. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First item, there's three points. First one is this. Let's talk about the government. The government. This is an unusual sermon. Usually we open up the Bible and we've got one passage. We're going verse by verse, but it's unusual. We're more talking about a cultural issue here and how our faith plays into that. We do need to talk about the government because our country is deeply divided on the issue of LGBT stuff. Deeply divided. And our government is highly involved. If we look just at how gay marriage became legal in 2015... We will see the controversy and we will see the confusion. I bet there are some people in here who are surprised and didn't even realize that gay marriage is now legal coast to coast all across the United States and it happened because of a 5-4 to four vote in the U.S. Supreme Court in 2015. That's where we are. The question is, how did we get there? When you see how we get there, you'll see the um, conflict, the division of opinions, and you will see the involvement of the government. Check out this video. It starts back in 1995. It's a great year. It's the year I graduated high school. Yet, I was not politically engaged, informed, or active or anything. Over the course of a 20-year period from 94, 95 on, states began to ban gay marriage. They did it through their elected officials. They did it through laws. These light, tan states are banning gay marriage through state laws. 98, 99, we're through the Clinton era, we're moving on to George W. Now these golden states that are popping up, the states are actually turning the issue over to the voters. Every state that has a golden brown color to it is where voters went to the polls and, and they banned gay marriage by changing the state constitution. Now here we are in 2008, President Obama's first term. Uh, eventually 44 states will have banned gay marriage, most of them by vote. Now, from President Obama's term forward, some states start to voluntarily make same-sex marriage legal, but the federal courts also begin overturning states that have uh, banned gay marriage, one after the other. Here we are in 2014, and then in 2015, the Supreme Court decided the matter for the country. If you back it up a little bit, what you see is there's tremendous division. 
People going to the polls, voting to say ban gay marriage in our state. Courts overruling that ban, and then the Supreme Court saying, case closed. This is what our country now believes. What does that teach us? Well, here's a summary. Jot this down. Between 1994 and 2014, 44 states banned gay marriage. That's staggering. That is staggering that over a 20-year period, a sustained political emphasis containing votes in multiple states, people going to the polls, 60%, 70%, 80% of the votes saying, ban it, we think it's wrong. Then, between 2008 and 2014, 31 bans were reversed. You see the difference in opinion as the country's trying to make up its mind. But if 31 bans were reversed, are the voters changing their minds? Are the state elected officials changing their minds? In most cases, no. In 23 of those reversed bans, it was federal courts overruling the states and the voters. 23. Federal courts telling states their votes, their voters, their elected officials are wrong. Then in 2015, there were 13 remaining state bans when the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage. So if you add it all up, the courts overruled voters and state officials by reversing gay marriage bans in 36 states. That's shocking. Only 14 states voluntarily supported gay marriage by vote or by state law. 36 said no, 14 said yes. Through the democratic process, the Supreme Court then said by a 5-4 to four vote, yes for everyone. What does this teach us? This teaches us a few things. The country is deeply divided. It's shocking how much support in so many states there was to ban gay marriage. The process by which legalized same-sex marriage came about was surprising. Because we have a constitution and we have a process to amend the constitution if we would like to add rights to the constitution. It requires a three-fourths uh, three-fourths of the states to do it. But instead of letting the democratic process play out, the Supreme Court, which is supposed to interpret the Constitution, instead is interpreting the culture and is therefore changing the Constitution. It's unfortunate how gay marriage became legal. It was a miscarriage of justice and democracy. That doesn't mean it's wrong because of it. It just means the way we got here is shocking. And what we learn is the votes of people in 36 states were not counted. The voice was not heard. The federal government, the courts said, this is what you will believe. Um, Justice Scalia, who dissented in the Supreme Court's vote, said this. I write separately from the majority to call attention to this court's, listen, Threat to American democracy. This is a justice of the Supreme Court. Today's decree says that my ruler and the ruler of 320 million Americans coast to coast is a majority of the nine lawyers on the Supreme Court. Jot this down. Know that your faith is under attack. And I want to be very careful what I mean by that. What I mean by that is your traditional values, values that millions have gone to the polls to support are simply being ignored. 
And not only are people not listening to you when your values are shared, they are imposing a value on you that is opposite of what you think. It is happening. It's not a conspiracy theory. You have to face it. You can't stick your head in the ground. This is how our world is working. Our own Supreme Court justices are saying it. Justice Alito, in his dissenting opinion, said this, a bare majority of justices can invent a new right and impose that right on the rest of the country. I assume that those who cling to old beliefs will be able to whisper their thoughts in the recesses of their homes, but if they repeat those views in public, they will risk being labeled as bigots and treated by such, uh, as such by governments, employers, and schools. Isaiah 5.20 tells us what's happening in our culture. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This is exactly what's happening. Our culture is calling good evil and evil good. And you are being pressured to get on board with the new moral agenda. You are being pushed to get on the right side of history now. Even though it's clear to see that things have changed rapidly just over the past four to five years. President Obama himself would not come out and support gay marriage in his second election, in his second run for office, until the vice president forced his hand. And Joe Biden said it, and then the president had to say it. He was so reluctant for so long to say it, and yet right now, you better say it. There's so much pressure and it's happening so rapidly, know that your faith is under attack. Write this down. Believe that you have a right and a responsibility to speak. A right, meaning don't accept the world's bargain that you be quiet and they leave you alone. No deal. No deal. You have a right from your constitution to publicly exercise your religion. It's not a promise of private exercise of religion. You have a right to publicly exercise your faith. Stay quiet and keep it to yourself. No deal. No deal. Do not make that deal. You remain quiet, we leave you alone. No, I'm not remaining quiet. You have a right and you have a responsibility. God calls you to stand up for the gospel. You have a right and a responsibility to stand up for yourself, your faith, and your family. And if anyone makes you feel like your view doesn't matter, anyone makes you feel like your vote doesn't count, you have to find your voice. Your voice is being ignored. Your voice is being disregarded. But we can't stay silent. Now write this down third under the first point. Share your convictions, but do it with compassion. Now, nothing of what I just said gives you permission to bash your leaders. All caps on Facebook of how terrible our government is. Like, no, 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 no. Share your convictions, but do it with compassion. The Bible challenges us to always be gracious. Be respectful and humble in how we talk about our government. I want to model that. I hope I am. Don't bash your government, but don't do not bow to the demands of anyone in authority over you who tries to silence your viewpoint. Not a teacher, not an administrator, not a boss, not a business owner, not an elected official. 
you will not stop me from sharing my voice on these issues. We can't be silent. Regarding government, know that your faith is under attack. Believe you have a right and a responsibility to speak and share your convictions with compassion. Now let's talk about two, the two specific issues that get political very quickly. First is the transgenderism issue. Write that down. Let's talk about transgenderism. Be careful um, when the topic of transgenderism comes up. Don't lump that together with homosexuality and gay marriage. They're two different issues. Um, homosexuality is who you love, who you're attracted to. Transgenderism is who you are, who you feel you are. They're two different conversations. If you lump them together, you're going to lose the distinctions. You would be surprised to know that there are many in the gay community who have different opinions on the transgender community. Many in the gay activist community are distancing themselves from the transgender movement and the laws that they require because they're two different issues and they want to keep them clear. So we have to treat them as two different issues as well. What is a transgender person? Transgender person is someone who believes their gender is different from their body. Their body shows one thing and they feel like they are something else. So a biological male might identify as a female, might dress that way, might even seek surgeries or hormone treatment to start to appear that way. That's what a transgender person is. Uh, but our culture is not limiting it to that, a boy who feels like he is a girl or a girl who feels like she is a boy. Some people are what they call gender fluid. They're not quite sure how much of each gender they are, and so they have a foot in each camp, and uh, they won't pick one. They're just some of both. Other people deny gender altogether, and they say, I'm neither, which creates disorder and confusion, and you can imagine the legal issues that come up with that when a person is figuring out who they are. Bruce Jenner is one of the most famous transgender people. We have a picture of Bruce uh, at the ESPYs, I believe, being given a Courage Award. And you see how this issue can become glamorized as a uh, former Olympic athlete um, uh, becomes uh, the other gender and starts to appear as a woman and has a reality show. And um, so he shows what happens in Hollywood and all of the support that comes when, uh, when you go public with that. It's a moral issue and it's a political issue. Uh, we have to understand that this issue is a political issue and it is um, threatening our religious liberty and the privacy of those who disagree with government policy or corporate policy or district policy or whatever. So you might think to yourself, well, what business is it of mine? You know, I don't care what a person wears or what their body looks like or what gender they choose. You have to look around and see how culture and law and education is being changed Everything around you is being changed to accommodate this viewpoint. It's simply not true and it's naive for you to think that, listen, it's just a private issue. It's none of my business. It is your business because it's being brought to your front door. We have to admit that. Um, do we have some examples of that happening? Yeah. In our own state, in Palatine School District 211, parents found out that the district was allowing a biological boy in a high school to change with the girls. 
Parents came to school board meetings and protested this in the name of the privacy of the girls who do not wish to change with a biological boy. It was a national thing, and uh, the school district, the board had these meetings, and parents showed up and said, we do not want our girls to have a biological boy in the room when they're changing. School district officials were also pressured by the federal government. So what happened was the school district decided to allow this male to continue to change in the girls' locker room. The parents are suing the district because they have been denied a voice in the public hearing. The federal government is pressuring the district to stay the course and threatening to pull $6 million in federal funding to the entire district if they remove this boy from the girls' locker room. So now every student in the district will suffer if you remove this boy from the girls' locker room. This is happening in our own state. It's a political issue and it's affecting you. In North Carolina, on the opposite end, they passed the law which would limit transgender people, making them have to use the bathroom of their biological sex. Instantly, the Federal Department of Justice swept in and issued an ultimatum that the state, which passed this law through the democratic process, uh, through the legislation, the, the Department of Justice swooped in and issued an ultimatum and said, you need to back down and cancel this bill. They um, upped the pressure when the Federal Department of Education contacted the state and said, we are rethinking giving you the $4 billion in state funding that you receive. And if this law goes through, that $4 billion might go away. Every student in the entire state is now suffering if this law goes through. It is a political issue. People are taking sides. In North Carolina, the NBA pulled their all-star game from Charlotte to punish the city financially for this bathroom bill. PayPal redirected 400 jobs as a protest. And the boss, Bruce Springsteen, canceled his concert in April because he would not come into the state if this is the way they treat transgender people. In April, the boss canceled his concert. By November, the president was giving him a medal. Why? Why? Because, quote, there's a place for everyone in Bruce Springsteen's America. Um, transgenderism is a political issue. It's changing the world around you. How do we understand this issue and how do we respond? Well, write this down. What's happening is the world rejects God's design for gender. The world is rejecting something God designed. God designed gender. In the beginning, he created them male and female. And God created gender distinctions for an important purpose. He created gender distinctions to reflect his will and to reflect his nature. Your gender, like your race, is God-given. And therefore, your gender is sacred. It's something God intended. What comes with your gender is a divinely intended way for you to glorify him. And so as a church, we help people to become the men of God or the women of God that he designed them to be. It's important to know that you can't change your gender. You can change the appearance of your gender, but you have 10 trillion cells in your body. Every single one of them has your DNA library in it. And it either says boy or it says girl. Every cell in your body, science tells us, 
says boy or girl. You can't change that. It's impossible. Men and women are different on purpose. And so we believe the transgender life is not compatible with the Bible or our faith. What's really happening is not a reordering of gender. It's a disordering of gender. What's going on is what we find in Judges 21.25. Judges 21.25 says this, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is the new moral order. There's not this new way of structuring morality. This is, this is destroying the ways of ordering morality and drawing up moral lines and boundaries. Anyone can be whoever they want, even if their biology disagrees with that. You might say to yourself, well, why is it such a big deal? It's not hurting me. It has nothing to do with me. You know, what do I care what a person wears? It's a big deal to God. Gender is important to God. And Understand that what's happening in our culture is not, hey, listen, a boy can choose to be a girl or a girl can choose to be a boy. What's happening in our culture is anything goes. You can be a little of both. You can be one. You can be the other. You can change. Gender basically in our culture is defined as this. Gender is how you feel about yourself today. That's it. Well, why does that rule only apply to gender? How you feel about yourself today could represent a lot of different things you see about yourself. And is this culture ready to say, you know what, however you feel about yourself today, we're willing to accept anything that you think, even if it doesn't line up with reality. We see that our world is turning biology into mythology. Can we embrace that? Can, what happens if we do? What happens if we just say, fine, I don't care? Write this down. Embracing this view leads us somewhere. It leads us to nonsense and chaos. This is an attack on reason and science that can't be sustained rationally. When someone says they're a girl and the biology says they're a boy, it's an attack on reason and science that cannot be sustained rationally. And if you embrace that view, it leads you out beyond the boundaries of sanity and reason to nonsense and chaos. Let me show you a video that proves that. There's been a lot of talk about identity lately, but how far does it go? And is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, why? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions, just because on the outside, I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? 
if you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. Say, so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six foot five. If you truly believed you're six five, I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong, like, that's wrong to believe in it, because I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So, I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you are six foot five, or Chinese, or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a five nine white guy that he's not a six foot five Chinese woman, but clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult? Very, very, very hard to watch. Very sad. Um, if you embrace this view that people can be something that's not true about themselves, it leads to nonsense and it leads to chaos. Um, is it loving to support someone who believes something that's false about themselves? No, it's not. It's not loving to support someone who believes something that's false about themselves. It's not loving towards them. Don't be fooled by nonsense that sounds nice. Love rejoices with the truth. Why would we tell people something that's false about themselves can be true? Uh, it's incredibly selfish. It really is. We're not doing them a favor, we're doing ourselves a favor. We don't want the burden of disagreeing with you. We don't want the burden of conflict. We don't want that. It's incredibly selfish for you to tell someone that something that's false about them is actually true. You are loving yourself. You're not helping them. They will never thank you. They will never thank you ever in the next life. If you high-five someone's sin, you are serving you. You're not being loving toward a person. Understand that. So here's what we have to do. Write this down. We must stand for reason, truth, and love at the same time. Reason, we cannot go out of our minds and say things that are irrational and insane. We cannot let go of the truth of the Word of God. And we cannot stop loving people. We have to have reason, truth, and love, but we have to have all of them together. And I hope you see what the world is doing. The culture is not being rational. The culture is not being loving. Anyone can see the double standard that is being imposed. In the name of safety, we will bully your entire state. In the name of diversity, we will silence you. 
Refuse to bake a cake for a gay wedding? We will fine you $135,000. Refuse to perform a concert in North Carolina? We will give you a medal. This is not rational. This is not fair. This is not loving. Please understand that we can't buy into nonsense that sounds nice. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. You cannot slip over the cliff of reason and and be loving at the same time. You're letting go of truth, and you're not helping anyone but yourself. Regarding government, know that your faith is under attack. Believe you have a right and a responsibility to speak and share your convictions with compassion. Regarding transgenderism, the world rejects God's design for gender. Embracing this view leads to nonsense and chaos. You must stand for reason and truth and love at the same time. Let's talk about gay marriage now. Number three, what about gay marriage? Gay marriage is something that threatens our religious freedom, suppresses our expression. And when it comes to gay marriage, there's a few things we have to understand. Um, first of all, know, just know how incredibly recent this phenomenon is. Uh, before the year 2000, before the year 2000, gay marriage was never legal in any county, state, or country ever. What does all of humanity agree on? Not much. But they do on this. No culture ever said gay marriage is something that was beneficial. No culture or country ever made it legal, ever until the year 2000 when the Netherlands did it. That doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means we are going where literally no country has ever gone before. And we're going there quickly. We should look around and ask ourselves, should we be going here? Should we go somewhere that no country has ever gone before? We have pictures of gay marriage rallies that have happened in the United States. The United States was not the first country to make gay marriage legal. Um, and when it, uh, when it comes down to it, gay marriage is only legal in 24 countries in the world right now. It's still not, if you're using the numeric measurement of this term, it's still not normal today in the world. There are 164 countries where... Um, Homosexual behavior or gay marriage is illegal or restricted, 164. There's only 37 where it's viewed positively. 24 gay marriages allowed, 13 civil unions are allowed. It's still not the norm. Yet there's pressure on us to get on the right side of history yesterday. It's happening so quickly and it is so unprecedented and there's so much pressure, it's shocking. And corporations are leaping in front of the camera to try and show that they are now finally on board with the moral revolution. Uh, companies like even Doritos trying to show that we are on board with this new revolution. There's nothing bolder than being yourself. They release Doritos to show that they are now on board with the movement. Skittles release Skittles to show that they are on board with the movement. There's this mixture of fear if we don't join and yet passion if we do. Gay marriage is a political issue. When it comes down to this topic, jot this down, the world rejects God's design for marriage. Rejects it. 
God has a design for marriage, and he holds everyone morally responsible to uphold it. In the book of Hebrews, it says, everyone must keep the marriage bed pure. God designed marriage, it's his thing. He holds everyone responsible to uphold it. But we've changed it, we've changed it very quickly. Just in the past three to four years is when things totally turned around. I said this already, but leading into the 2008 election, President Obama was still reluctant to publicly be in favor of gay marriage. Uh, In his first election, he would not come out and support it. But he did in his second election. What does that say, that there was reluctance to publicly support this just four years ago, and now there is a demand that you do so? What does that say? Vice President Joe Biden, to show you how far we've come and how quickly we've come, uh, officiated a same-sex wedding of two White House employees. Eight years ago, wouldn't publicly endorse it. Now that things have changed politically, I'll officiate a wedding. The world rejects God's design for marriage. And we covered this in length uh, length a few weeks ago when we talked about the truth of the matter, but we believe that it is impossible for a gay couple to be married in the biblical definition of the word. Marriage is between a man and a woman. So we believe that the government can issue a civil union, a certificate, to a couple, giving them legal rights, political protections. And those things are real and they can be binding uh, on you in some way in your life. But when it comes to our faith, our church, and our voice, we think marriage is between a man and a woman. And therefore, um, a gay couple who is married in the eyes of the government is not married in the eyes of God. If they were to get saved and become a part of a church and ask for counsel on what to do, there is no restriction on them from immediately living the holy, pure life God has called them to live because they're not married in the eyes of God. It's something different. The world is rejecting God's design for marriage, right? And you might say to yourself, okay, but again, how is their marriage affecting me? Why do I care? two people love each other, why can't they be happy? It's their business, not mine. Write this down. Rejecting God's sexual standards is rejecting the gospel. You can't be neutral on this issue and then come to church on Good Friday and let let the cross of Christ move you. Let tears roll down your eyes to see what he did for the world. You're contradicting yourself. Rejecting God's sexual standards is rejecting the gospel. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 tells us this very thing. Do not be deceived about this. The sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. We have to be decided on this. The Bible doesn't narrowly condemn some forms of homosexuality as if a commitment or a legal document or some sort of a ceremony is different or separate from what the Bible talks about. The Bible doesn't narrowly condemn some forms of homosexuality. It broadly condemns all homosexual behavior. The thoughts, the passions, the actions, and the unions are all clearly condemned in the Bible. And if you high-five someone's sin, if you high-five someone's sin, you are insulting the cross of Christ. Blood gushed 
from his body to wash away sin. And when you walk up with a new way to understand a person's sin, you are replacing Jesus as the Messiah in that person's life. What gives you the right to do that? Where else will you take them other than the cross? It is offensive to tell someone what they're doing is sinful. But it's the most loving thing God has ever done. If you try and make someone feel better about their sin, you are standing in the way of them receiving the love of Christ. What superior love are you bringing them? Rejecting God's sexual standards is rejecting the gospel. Do not fool yourself. If you withhold the gospel from someone in the name of love, you are loving you, not them, not God. You're serving yourself. You're protecting yourself from discomfort. No one will thank you for that, ever, in the next life. Rejecting God's sexual standards is rejecting the gospel. The world rejects God's design for marriage. And jot this down. So you must defend the biblical definition of marriage. We are aiming to share the love of Christ with everyone equally. And we are aiming to share the truth of Christ with everyone equally. Not letting go of reason, not letting go of truth, not letting go of love. No deal. And if the time comes where your convictions are silenced or pressed, you have to be ready to take a stand. You know the county clerk, Kim Davis, who found herself overnight in national headlines. Boy, I don't know what it's like to be her. She faced a dilemma because the Supreme Court told her that gay marriage is now legal. And in her county, her name was on every marriage license. She was an elected official, so she had to serve the good of the people who elected her. Yet she felt issues, religious issues of conscience, that her name was on a gay marriage license. That she had to literally sign it, sign her name on something that she personally disagreed with. So she appealed, she appealed to the governor. She said, I can't do this, I can't sign these, I need a provision where they can be issued the license where my name is not on it. Um, things escalated very quickly. She refused, she would not give in, she refused, she would not sign these licenses, even though there were cameras and there were homosexual couples standing at the counter with the world watching, demanding that she sign it or that she resign or that she be arrested. Well, she was arrested. She was put in jail for five days. Note the double standard again. Put in jail for her view. No help for her to keep her voice. Whatever it takes for her to get on the other person's program. Here's what she said after she got out of prison. And so I'm here before you this morning with a seemingly impossible choice that I do not wish on any of my fellow Americans, my conscience or my freedom. My conscience or my ability to serve the people that I love, obey God or a directive that forces me to disobey God even when there are reasonable accommodations available. I have thought and prayed very hard about what to do. The decisions I have made in this case and the decisions I will continue to make in this case are mine and mine alone. Okay, thanks. So, Kim Davis, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? She would not budge. She went to jail for six days. Happy ending. In the recent election, they changed state law. 
so that her name is taken off the certificate. It can be issued by anyone in the office, and she doesn't need to put her name on there. She stood her ground, and things changed because of it. She was a witness. We want to share the love of Christ with everyone and the truth of Christ with everyone equally. When your time comes, you have to be ready to speak, to stand up, not to be silent. In Luke 9.26, it says this, Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Listen, Jesus said in John 16, In this world you will have trouble. Settle it in your heart now that when my faith and my culture collide, I will not move. It will hit a brick wall because I will not abandon my convictions for anything, no matter the cost. I will not be silenced. I will share my view and I will hold on to love and truth and I will hold on to reason. Let's pray. Father, what a hard topic and what a challenging day to live in. Oh, Father, we do need your help. We do need your help to continue to be loving. We do need your help to love those who we disagree with, to be kind, to be gentle, to be considerate, compassionate, to listen. Help us. Help us to be welcoming and inviting and inclusive. Help us not to reduce the love of Christ, to show it to everyone freely who comes. Father, help us, though, as the truth is being silenced, freedoms are being taken away. Help us, O Lord, to be strong and courageous because you are with us. Help us to let nothing move us. Pray for our high schoolers here today. We're being pressured by one side to be inclusive and open and welcoming and and yet are not offered an option of sharing their faith. Pray that they would be courageous, that they would have strong convictions, that they would be willing to take a stand and sacrifice greatly for your name. Pray, Lord, for all of those who on a daily basis are in an environment that questions what they believe, that lives by a double standard and is being unfair. Pray that they would be courageous to know when to say nothing, to know when to speak up. We do pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit to be a light city on the hill. May your word not be hindered. May you grow your church. We pray, O Lord, that you would help us to be a revolutionary force in this culture, displaying love for Jesus and holding out the gospel, which is the power of God for all who believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.